With my oldest, he's probably the hardest one to deal with because he remembers a lot more of it. I think at the beginning, so so I had my, my run in high school or in college and I was doing, I went to rehab at 21 because I was just like, I wanted to be done. I put myself there. I was like going to get sober. I thought like rehab was going to be like the quick fix, like just so I can like take a break. Like mm-hmm. if I could just take a break for a little bit, I'll be better. So um, I got sober and then I got pregnant <laughs> because then I kind of got addicted to the relationship I was in. But I remember still not feeling like I totally like loved myself or trusted myself. And getting pregnant, I was like, finally someone will love me unconditionally. And not not the relationship. I didn't care if he loved me unconditionally, but the fact that like kids, your babies love you unconditionally. And I was like craving that love. And instead of giving it to myself, I put that pressure on my newborn baby to give me that love. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davy. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I'm someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I'm an amazing father, husband, son, friend, leader, lover, master coach, and I spend every minute of the day helping people live kick-ass lives. Just wanted to say happy birthday to Kleiss, if you're listening to this. Happy birthday, Kleiss. Also want to say happy two-year soberversary to Paul, and congratulations to John who's not had a drink for over three years and has just completed his Ironman um, in Bolton. All of those people have experienced the Strive Method and it's helped them push them onto greater things. And currently getting through the Strive Method and learning what it means to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, live a kick-ass life, uh, we have Becky, we have Juliet, uh, we have Marie Claire, and we have Dean and Mark recently as well. And Tony's come back. Welcome back, Tony. All right. So um, everybody wish them all the very best. And if you would like to join them in our Strive family and take the Strive method, which is over 120 different coaching videos and online events, then it is $99 a month. And you can go to www.1000daysober.com and sign up. And if you think it's a pile of pants, as long as you've done your homework, I will give you your money back. And you can cancel any time as well, all right? Well worth the punt, uh, well worth uh, a little look. So today my guest is Gentry. Um, she's an Instagram and social media star, and she built her, her Instagram, um, uh, well, her new career, I guess, uh, as a sober single mom, uh, providing hope and humor to the mental health struggles of people um navigating sobriety as a single mom and she's dedicated to inspire and entertain and end the stigma of addiction i'm so inspired by her i think she's uh, an incredible incredible uh, woman like you know I, it takes three of us sometimes to get zia out the door to school in the morning and there's gentry doing it with four kids uh, all on her lonesome so um i have so much respect for her um we don't have a topic in mind really we just kind of uh whizzed through just talking about life in general and what it's like to be parents so i hope you enjoy it and definitely check her out over instagram at life at gentry she's just getting into the coaching game as well so if you feel the intuitive pull towards her direction then go check her out all right so without further ado i'll shut the hell up leave you in the capable hands of gentry 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 welcome to the 1000 days sober podcast really nice to see you sitting down on the couch and not standing up on your crickety coffee table how is it is it still working it's still working it just like bows a little bit i mean if i probably could get away with dancing on the sides <laughs> but i'm not in the middle anymore <laughs> let's let's start there where, where do you get your ideas from um so for my my instagram 
I have, I'm, I feel passionate about helping people laugh and like learn something or get some sort of value out of my page. Cause I want it to be entertaining to bring them, but then I want them to leave with something. So um, even if it's just me dancing on the table, it's like, be carefree, be who you are. Like my kids see me dancing on the table. And there's some people that would like, I would never put my feet on a coffee table, but it's like, that's in my house. We dance on the table and that's okay for us. I have one son that's probably not going to grow up and dance on tables. He's a little bit more reserved. He's a little bit more shy like his dad, but I want to just teach him like, but be yourself. However, that, however that is. And so that's what I try to like bring to my page is like, I am who I am. And I hope you can get some entertainment and some education out of it. So, so there's a, a, like what you see is what you get. So, you know, there's obviously there's an element of performance, but out beyond that, when the camera switched off, there's a bit of a a buoyant, happy, joyful, just party kind of household. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty carefree in this household, which is always, isn't always the best thing because my kids know if they can make me laugh, they can get away with more shit, (laughs) but but it works for us. (laughs) But I mean, I I think that's beautiful. You know, like I, I didn't grow up in a household like that. I grew up in a household where I think how you lead as a parent is like really important because my, my parents were very stoic, um, very serious, not, you know, money issues, relationship issues. And, um, and, and, it's almost like, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, like when you, one of, one of the things that I was really, really bad at is not leaving my work at the front door. So coming home to my many wives and then talking about work all the time because I loved it so much. And they'd be like, Lee, I don't want to fucking talk about that shit, right? Just, just it's too much. And I think my, my mom and dad, I kind of get that lack of boundary from my mom and dad where they weren't able to go, okay, we've got a shit ton of problems, but we can't push this on our kids, right? We need to, we need to like not hide everything, but, but not fucking smother their life with it. So they grow up thinking life is shit. Like, are you aware of that? Like as, as a parent, like the shit that's going on in your head and how much of it you, you actually share with the kids. Um, so you mean like boundaries, like as in a seeing them seeing difficulties that I've had. Yeah. Yeah. Where, how far yeah. do you, how do you deal with that? Like in terms of how much to show in terms of their learning and development versus how much you keep yourself. So I'm pretty honest with my kids about struggles, um, especially with addiction, just mm-hmm. because there you have a double dose of a genetic predisposition to alcoholism too. But there, there's a, there's a fine line when it comes to, showing them like emotion, I think. And then also like just putting crap on them to have to like deal with it too. Like, I don't uh, like it. Like I can't, I don't want to put it on my kids to like fix the problem. I want them to see like, okay, I had this problem and then this is what I did to work through it. Not like mom has this problem and she's really struggling and she needs you to be there for her to to support her to feel better. It's like, I want them to see me be able to manage things but mm. still show them that I have down ups and downs. And um, when I have like some depression, sometimes I'm like, mom's just in like a mood and I don't care if you guys like get the mattresses and go down the stairs today and freaking throw fruit snacks at the fridge. But just like, I need to, I need to lay down and I need to just like kind of be in a funk right now. And then they see me come out of it. And so it's not like you're, they're not responsible to get me out of it, but I don't think it's bad for them to see me have those moments. Yeah. 
No, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, what, how are you when it comes to it's, I, I think I know the answer, here, but where are you on the whole letting your children express their emotions? Kind of like, uh, tangent, I get not tangent. Well, the, what's this, what's this thing I'm thinking about this, uh, this scope. I can't, I can't even think of the word. Ah, oh, like the range, emotional intelligence range, range. Okay. All right. So yeah, where uh, where are you on that range with you with your kids in in emotions and allowing them to just let loose and you know what's your personal experience about that? Like like throwing fits and tantrum type of le- like rate like yeah. for showing emotions. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know. I think they probably get away with a little bit more than I should let them because I want them to express themselves, but we always come back once we're calm and try to like talk about what was going on. Like, okay, why were you so upset? What was, cause I mean, I do the same things. I rage on them sometimes. <laughs> like I just mm. am like, why is everything a mess? Like what's going on? And then I had to like calm down. I come back going, sorry, I yelled. So not that it's acceptable to rage on people or to like have these meltdowns, but just recognizing when we have them that we need to, like work on them. Like, okay, now that we're calm, why were you so upset? Like, do we need to maybe spend some more one-on-one time? Do we like, really like, what's, what are you feeling that was making you so upset in that situation? But I know like some, I have some parents, some friends that are parents that like their kids do not raise their voice in their household. They're super, super strict. And it's like immediate discipline. If there's any lack of um, respect and and I think <laughs> I think I um, let them let them feel those emotions a little bit more. Mm. How do you feel when you're in a household with your kids and the friends are, you know, you just know the vibe is like not the same as your house. So it's like, oh fucking hell, they're gonna see my kids run around and scream scream now. I like how how are you on that whole codependent kind of uh, angle when it comes to that kind of thing. Well, I think every household is different and kids need to learn every household is different. I, I mean, my kids at other houses, I'm always coaching them like to make sure that they're being extra respectful, that they're paying attention to the rules. If they walk in and they see where there's, sho- there's a shoe rack, take your shoes off, like mm. pay attention to the, your environment because your entire life, you're going to have to pay attention to the environment that you're in. Like sometimes you can say the F word, sometimes you can't, <laughs> like you have to know where you're at and what's acceptable and so that's what I try to teach them. And like my, my mom's house has a lot stricter household rules. She doesn't like let them wrestle in the house or do certain things. And they have to adapt when they go there, when they have school, there's different rules at school. So when people come to my house, it's just like, these are the rules of my house. And that's just, that's going to be your life. So I, I don't, I don't really feel like I worry too much about what other kids in our community think I think especially being sober and having more confidence in like what I'm doing and who I am it Mm. doesn't bother me I when they would come over and I'd be drinking I know I used to be a lot more like not wanting them to see that I was making another drink or that I I feel like I was a little bit more insecure about my household Mm. at that time but now it's like nope this is our house (laughs) (laughs) this is this is how it is but I, it, it's so different how things change when you become more confident. Like I, I totally remember at the height of my codependency that, um, you know, I, I was the shouter. Like if my kids, if my kids played up in a supermarket, for example, 
Like I, I would be so ashamed. I would shout them into fucking getting into order. Right. So like, because I was making it all about me and then I did a bit of work and then all of a sudden I wasn't shouting at them, but I was still, I was still super ashamed and I was still making about me. And then these days I'm able to just be okay. Uh, she's in a supermarket. She's having a meltdown. Um, it ain't about me. There's something going on with her right now. And then getting that balance right between, okay, we shouldn't really be screaming and shouting in a supermarket versus how can we deal with this in the best way to allow you to express emotion? Do we, do we need to go to the car right now? You know, like I see, I see some mothers sometimes, like I was in a party every day and this kid was like screaming and kicking and the mom was just like, okay, all right, let me know when you're done. And she was like totally okay with it. She didn't give a shit who was looking at her. And I, and I was like, I want to go over and go, yeah, well done, ma'am. Because there was that part of me that like was, was really so worried about whatever people thought about me as a parent that it really impacted my ability to parent. Does, does any of that land at all? Yeah. And I, I, I don't feel like there's a right or wrong way to parent. I mean, there's, there, there, I mean, there's better, there's things that work better and there's things that don't work as well, but every kid is going to be different. But yeah, like my parenting style is from my personality. And if I want my kids to be confident in their personality, then I need to always be confident in mine. And if I'm putting pressure on them to act a certain way, because I'm concerned how, like if I'm making them my world and what everything that they do is, is, is they direct, like that's how I define who I am. Mm -hmm. Then as they get older, they're going to feel like the way that they show love to people is to be the, their, the other person's world. Does that make sense? So it's yeah. like, I don't want my, I, I feel like as long as I'm confident in who I am and what I'm doing, so it's kind of that codependency thing, like then they're going to see that and they're going to appreciate that. But if it's like constantly waiting for like their, them to f see my love as like, now they feel valued because I'm doing everything and, the, and they're being just perfect enough to be the perfect re reflection of me. And now we have this like codependency situation. They're going to grow up and have the same same type of cycles where their value is going to be dependent on on someone else and so i screw up i screw up things all the time but i just keep going and i want them to see that part like you know what maybe we shouldn't yell that didn't really work that time so let's try this this time and and if you're naughty in public then like then you're naughty in public and we can work on that but it's not because mm -hmm. anything i'm doing as a mom because if I start feeling guilty and shame about the way they're acting in public and, and now I'm getting stuck on that, then I can't, I can't be the best mom if I'm, if I'm worried about how it's making me feel. Yeah. Because that that, sense? <laughs> it does. I think what, I, what I'm hearing is if you make the kids your center of your world, if you actually lean on, if you get in your narcissistic supplies by your kids, right? So like the way that I, get my love, the way that I get my adoration, the way that I get my self-esteem is through my children. And an, as and an extension of that is how other people view my children. So if they view them as perfect and beautiful and amazing, then I'm perfect, beautiful, and amazing. And if they <laughs> view them as a bunch of terrors and I'm a terror, then I can see that if you are like that, then your kids are more likely to be in the park thinking, well, I want to jump off this building, but I'm not quite sh sure to do it because what if all the other kids laugh at me? It's almost like 
they're worried about whatever people think of them rather than themselves going, ah, mm-hmm. fuck it, I'm just going to jump off this little this little climbing frame and if I fall, I fall type of thing. Is that That's what I'm hearing. Right, if you're... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I probably added way too many words to that. But it, it, like in this, like in a grocery store, if you're worried about what other people are thinking, then your kids are going to see that as well, too. So yes. like my son is today, he's uh, turns 11 and he a couple years ago got his ears pierced and kids made fun of him. And he knew when he got him done that they were going to make fun of him. Yet last night he wanted a perm. He really wanted a perm. So I was like, OK, for his birthday, we got a perm. And he looked so <laughs> adorable. I like I love it. But he's like, I know kids are going to make fun of me. But I don't care. I like it. And it's like, yeah. yes, because other people's opinions of you and how you're parenting and how whatever really aren't, they're relevant to like what you know you're doing. And when you're confident in what you're doing, um, you're you're going to take pride in what you're doing. And then you're, you're just going to naturally know how to do things. You're going to naturally figure it out because you're taking pride in what you're doing as a whole. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like he's... Um... He's playing the game of life, already starting to learn to play the game of life from a really strong perspective of like, he, like the in, he's playing like what I like to call the inside out game. Like I, I'm, I'm cool with myself with my perm and I'm cool with myself with my earrings versus when I was a kid, I played the outside in game. Ah, uh, ah, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder what they'll think about my perm. I wonder what they'll think about my earrings. And, and then actually that blended into fuck it, I'm going to get a perm just to piss people off. I'm just going to get my ears pierced. Just, but even then, this I don't give a shit what people think about it. It was still unhealthy. It was still toxic, right? Where your boy right. sounds like he's being raised to have that healthy, independent outlook in life, right? Yeah, and I think, because I think a lot of times parents make the mistake of like, be who you are, be yourself, and the world will love you as you are. And that is not true. Like be who you are, be yourself and the right people will love you who you are. There are people that won't like it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you sit with yourself. And so that's what I I feel like sometimes parents make the mistake of like thinking just because they love their kid, everybody will love their kid. And it's not true. (laughs) There's people that aren't going to like my kids and that's fine. But, But they need to know that like at the end of the day, there, there will be people that like them for who they are and find those people and hang out with those people. Um, you don't have to fit in with all circles. I think that's one of the difficult parts of parenthood for me is, um, is um, just realizing and acknowledging that somewhere along the line, there will be someone who doesn't like my kid and that will hurt them. <laughs> that's like the hardest part of parent. Like my son, like I, I never really worried so much about him physically hurting himself. I always worried about him getting emotionally hurt, you know, either getting his heart broken by a, a, another young girl or another young man or, or like Whenever he talks to me about feeling alone or his friends not getting him or him, like he grows up in a very drink centric area and he doesn't really want to drink, but he feels pulled towards doing it. Whenever he talks to me about those things as a parent, I, I, I struggle. Like I, I have to kind of like just not try to fix him and let him get along with it. And now I got a, a little girl yeah, I, I worry about that even more for some reason. Maybe it's because I'm not a I'm not a, I'm not a woman, so I, I don't I don't really know what's going on. But yeah, that is a tough part of parenting for me. It's just letting them knowing that yeah, someone's not going to like your perm, dude, right? Mm-hmm. And and how are you gonna how are you gonna deal with that when that person turns around and calls you a name because of it? Yeah. Yeah. So we just talk about that stuff before we even get there. Like, okay, so yes. somebody might say something tomorrow. 
And yeah, what do I like you say? That. I like that. You want a perm? Yeah. Okay. You know, people are going to piss at you whenever you perm, right? Are you okay with that? Are you ready for that? I like that. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. really smart. Um, something else you said earlier on, this is great. So for you listening here, this is like Gentry is the greatest parent and I'm the shittest parent, right? <laughs> this is like, instead of good cop, bad cop, we're going to do good parent, bad parent. So <laughs> when you said, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to parent, I was like, ah, okay. Here's another thing that, co- that comes up that reminds me of my drinking days. It's thinking black and white about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, including there's a right way to parent and a wrong way to parent and how toxic that thinking of black and white is and how helpful it was for me, not just to stop drinking, uh, but to be a better husband and to be a better father by playing around in the gray more, right? So mm-hmm. having that belief that there is a right or a wrong way to parent means that I'm going to judge a parent for not parenting in my in my paradigm, which is like, you know, it's not the greatest energy in the world to put out there, right? So I like the way that you recognize and are like, yeah, there's not a right, wrong or right way to parent. There's not a right or wrong way to do Instagram, I guess, is your, you know. So wh- where, did that, where did that come from? Is that natural in you or did you have to work on that? I think that I had to work on that because I think that there was a long time that I wanted to be like that mom, like that put together the mom that like had the home lunches with the cute notes, which I can do some of that stuff, but like the perfectly clean house and just the mom that like came to events put together and really like on time. I'm never on time. Um, so I think like I compared myself to like that mom. I always like like that mom, like with the quotations, because there's a certain standard that I think that we think we want to be when we have kids. And then there's like reality <laughs> because yeah. there's some, like I, everybody's the perfect parent until they have kids. Like yeah. everybody knows exactly how to do it all until they have kids. And I think for a long time, I, I felt a lot of like insecurities that I wasn't a certain way for my kids. And as I'm trying to be a certain way for my kids, I almost got, I mean, not almost, I was getting worse and worse for them because I was like, then using, then I felt like a failure. And then I'm using the tool that I have in my toolbox, which is alcohol. And then I'm feeling regret and shame because I drank again. And then I would wake up and try to do this all or nothing thing again, where it's like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to really get on top of it. I'm going to make sure I'm on, I'm have their schedules figured out. And I'm going to be like that mom. I'm mm-hmm. going to be that mom that they deserve. Um, but it wasn't me that I was describing. And I could be a great mom as with my, my personality, but I was like, in my mind, the great mom wasn't me. It was yeah. a different type of mom. And so it took work to accept that like my parenting style is going to be different than my mom's. It's going to be different than uh, my ex-husband's. It's mm. going to be different than the mom next door. And that's all okay. And for I had to accept that other parents did it differently and it was okay for them to do it almost to accept that like, like accept that for myself too. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, they're doing it different and they're doing okay. And it's okay for me to do that too. Yeah, it's like um, I interviewed Dr. Richard Schwartz earlier this week, you know, and he's the um, the founder of Internal Family Systems. And 
he's a, he's the guy who talks about within each human being is 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 not a mono mind. It's not just gentry. There are there are lots of different parts of gentry's personality, and getting to know those parts and talk to those parts and love those parts and respect those parts is really important. And he talks about the inner world and the outer world, right? Like how they they mirror each other, you know. And um, what you just talked about there, it it speaks volumes for me. In that, it's like, you know, if we are judging ourselves internally, then we're very likely going to be judging everybody externally, right? And if we're judging people externally, we're very likely judging ourselves internally. So, you know, in like using judgments as a I mean, the way I deal with judgments is, okay, so it just kind of happens automatically. I'm pretty down with the fact that I judge people. I'm not going to say I don't. I do. Uh, And then as soon as I do, I'm like, okay, what's that about? You know, what's that about? And just that question, what's that about? What part is doing the judging? And then talking to that part then allows me to allow the other, to see the other person and this mainly see the other person's struggles. Right, so let's say let's say you've got a kid on the ground in Whole Foods screaming, and the woman picks the kid up and gives the kid a little slap, right? My judgment in that situation would be like, oh my God, she just slapped a kid. How could you ever do that as an adult, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? But if I can go, what was that about? Right? Like, and then and then I'm like, okay, so there's a part of me that um really got scared by an adult when I was younger and didn't want to be hit. And I look at that and I'm like, whoa, but, but what's going on for the person who's just hit that child? Like, does she really want to cause harm to kids? Is that just an automatic response? Was she beaten as a child and told that I was okay? Um, is she just like pulling her hair out? Because actually she hasn't got one kid. She's got 12 kids. Like you don't know, right? You don't know. So it's just kind of like, I think it helps me to get into that compassionate space by not thinking that it's black and white and not thinking that I have everything figured out. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think black and white, even with like drinking, either you have a problem or you don't. I mean, that's not really the case. And there's so many people that think that like, just, so I don't know if you saw my reel recently about the, where I (laughs) said I was doing meth, which I've never done meth. Um, but I, in it, I basically said my story, but I put meth instead of alcohol and how bizarre it sounds to be like meth is, was socially acceptable for moms and meth was meth was, was all in, that was just part of the college experience. And people are like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. And it's like, yeah, but when we do it with alcohol, it's okay. Yeah. And one of my friends who doesn't have problems, she's like, yeah, I guess I can see that. And I can see why why that must be really hard for people that struggle with alcohol. And it's like, but there's not just like the people that are struggling with alcohol. There's this whole other gray area of people that like my, I didn't have alcohol abuse in my house, but I had alcohol use in my house. Mm. And so I saw people like go through the work week, have do their work. And then they celebrated with drinking on the weekends and not just like my household, but like just in the community. And people think that the only people that are affected by alcohol are the ones that are like actually alcoholics, like ending up homeless and whatever. It's like, but my, my example of alcohol use showed me that we do our work and then we enjoy our life with alcohol or we like celebrate with alcohol. And Mm -hmm. then I ended up having a problem. So their alcohol use, even though they didn't have a problem affected my relationship with alcohol, like it's all connected. There's all this gray area. It's like, 
I always felt like I didn't deserve to have a drinking problem because I didn't have trauma and I didn't have like, um, crazy neglect or anything, but I had an example of alcohol use in my house Mm. and that social acceptance of it made it harder to stop once I had a problem. And so we're all affected by alcohol or, or whatever the situation, whatever it is, like most, I guess alcohol, but like we're all affected by, like you might know, you might not have a problem with it, but you know, somebody that's gotten hit by a drunk driver or, you know, like there's just so much more gray in it. It's not just like either you have a problem or you're perfectly fine. It's like they're, we're all being affected. I interrupt this broadcast to bring you the deal of the century. If you want to join the 62% of people who have graduated from the Strive Method and are still not drinking one year later, then join the Strive family today. Head over to 1000daysober.com to sign up for our incredible subscription service where for $99 a month you gain access to more than 120 coaching videos in the Strive Method and join our incredible, our beautiful Strive family. And if you think it's a pile of pants, as long as you've done the work, I'll refund your subscription. So you've got absolutely nothing to lose. Right, back to the conversation at hand. And because of that black and white thinking, you know, and the, the, the white being, I don't drink at all, and the black being, I'm an alcoholic. Because of that, like, black and white thinking, it actually allows um, this belief. So I, I, I actually believe that we're all bred to drink alcohol from birth. Like, it's just, it's part of being a human being, right? Like, you can't, you have to, you have to get very lucky to escape it. Like, you have to be living in Dubai, or like, you know, um, I have an interesting story on that, actually. But you have to be living in Dubai in order for it to be not part of part of what you want to aspire to be when you're a kid. Like, you look at adults enjoying themselves, and it's part of every function. You you go to church if you're religious, and you you hear about Jesus turning water into wine. I mean, I went to look at the Sistine Chapel. It's like a Sistine Chapel show in L.A. the other day. Um, and there was they, – so they take – pieces of the fresco and they show it and you can listen to it and one of the pieces of the fresco the Sistine Chapel was was Noah <laughs> making his own wine and getting drunk like right at the beginning of time like if we believe in God and all that kind of jazz then and the people who believe that God killed everybody and then just let Noah in charge of the ark well when he was on the ark he got drunk like that's how ingrained it is in our in our society, right? But mm-hmm. you know, the person who says is me going into my judgment mode again. But the person who says I don't have a problem with it, and still will go out on that Saturday night, and likely the reason that they won't drink is because they're afraid of what other people will think about them, and that in itself is a problem. So whenever I say to my dad. Why don't you just stop drinking? He'll say, because I, I love it. I like it. I don't want to stop. But the truth of it is he can't. And, and, and I don't care if you're an alcoholic. I don't care if you, you drink socially. You, the truth, if we injected you, you would find it really, really difficult not to drink. Even the people who drink, drink not that often, they will find it really difficult. But the cognitive dissonance that's allowed them to drink this drug, unlike meth, no, they've, mm-hmm. they've got a different paradigm around meth. This cognitive dissonance just works so well that they, they, are, they are able to just pick up this drink of poison and drink it and turn into a dick and don't worry about it because it's just part of life, right? So 
you know, I, I, I haven't seen that real, but I like the idea. I think it's really clever. Yeah, because there's no there's no one that would come to you and be like, hey, so I do math, but I just do it occasionally. It's not a big deal. Like, I'm not burning my life to the ground. Like, no, either you do math and you're like, I'm like you're judged for it or you don't. There's no yeah. there's no like I kind of do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I dabble in it, but I still go to work. It's like, no, if somebody's doing math, they are the addicts. They're, the, they're a problem. Nobody nobody would say like you. You're OK. Then, oh, OK, you're fine. But with alcohol, we do. We sit there and say, like, oh, okay, but that's fine to just have a drink every now and then. Um, there's so much more gray in that. In that, Yeah, and bringing, bringing that to the attention of people really helps, really helps them. You know, like, how? I mean, you must hear this in your coaching as well. It's just like, I just want to be normal. Do you know, like you were saying earlier on about, I just want to be that mom. <laughs> it's like, I just want to be normal and drink like that guy. I'm like, oh that guy who drinks normally and then goes home and jacks off to three hours of porn because he's got no other way to release his issues or, or that woman who goes home and then eats a pizza and throws it up down the sink. Cause she wants to keep away that you want to be normal. Like those people do like, mm-hmm. look, you know, I think the best thing that helped me get out of the black and white thinking was Alan de on this uh, English philosopher who created the school of life when he just said, look, you know, we're just all fucked up. Like if we could just admit that we're just all a bunch of fucking mess, if we're just a complete mess, then when your wife turns around and screams at you after you shouted at a kid and says, you're a fucking worst dad ever, at least you can turn around and go, do you know what? Sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. But in overall, I'm, I'm all right because I'm trying to fix these things. And at the same time, and I'm, I'm accepting of where the, of where they come from and why they why it happens right you know and um so that's that's helped me anyway yeah definitely like just accepting things as they happen and learning the lesson from it like i try to think of my life like a puzzle and if there's something that is negative or i don't like and i'm holding on to that puzzle that i can't keep building the puzzle i don't know if that makes sense but it's like yeah, okay, it I gotta, does, like, yeah. that's already part of my story this is a like alcoholism is a part of my story and i could hold on to that and like be like this is who i am and on the day that i die that's the final piece and like that's part of that's a huge part of my picture yeah. or i could just be like okay that happened i made that mistake now we're gonna lay it down and we're gonna build off it and we're gonna make something prettier come out of that yeah. And we have to just keep putting it down and keep trying new things and keep learning and keep growing and keep just asking questions as we go. So we can just keep building a prettier like picture for, for our life. No, I like that. Yeah. And, and I would, I would even say, I've never said this before actually, but um, I would even say that um, now alcohol is not a part of my story. You know, it's not, you know, and um, I, I, t- I tell you why, and it links into what we're talking around parenting is I stopped drinking over 10 years ago now to save my marriage, right? And it didn't work. It didn't work. Like I, I stopped and I probably got into more fights with her after I stopped than when we were both drinking because of my judgments of her drinking, right? So she asked for a divorce and we split up. And I then created 1000 Days Sober, started telling everybody my story and there was a little bit of martyrdom in that. It was like, hey, look at me. I'm getting my shit together. I was a fucking mess. And now look at me. I don't drink. And I've got halos and rainbows and unicorns. And you should join me and I could help you do it. And then I fell in love again. And then I had another kid. And then six years into an eight-year marriage, I start to have the same problems. 
I'm like, well, that can't be right because I stopped drinking. So all of a sudden I realized, whoa, whoa, I somehow managed to go nearly a decade, right, half a decade of not drinking, thinking I got my shit together, and I still have not dealt with the stuff that was underneath the reasons why I was drinking in the first place. Like I've dealt with some of them. So, you know, for me, a big part of it is I drink because I was designed to drink and where I lived in Ogmore Valley, everybody drank. So of course I'm going to drink, but I dealt with that side of it, but I didn't deal with a side of it was, you know, the way that my mom dealt with me banging and kicking the floor in the supermarket you know, was not the right way for me, probably. And I never dealt with that. And now that's why I ended up shouting at my kids or something without drinking. So alcohol is, is not my story right now today. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that absolutely makes sense because I, I feel like I have moments like where I don't, I don't want to talk about alcohol. Like I don't want to talk about the addiction and all of that chaos because it's like, that was what I used. That was the tool that I had in my toolbox to deal with the fact that I had anxiety, depression, and self-esteem issues. It was, and that's what I want to work on. Like, those are things I want to work on. A lot of people do think like, I can just remove alcohol and things will get better. And that's not really how it works. Alcohol is the tool you're using to numb what has happened to you. And once you start that like growth, you just want more of that growth. And so I, I sometimes don't, it's sometimes hard to talk about those drunk moments or those, like, I don't want my story to be about me being a drunk idiot, alcoholic, making bad decisions. I want it to be about mental health because that's where we're going to help people is that a lot of people are struggling with mental health and they're using alcohol as the tool because that's what is socially acceptable to do. Mm. Yeah. And then, and then you run into stigma because if you say, okay, we're going to look after our physical health, whilst there may be a resistance against that, fuck you, I'm not running up that hill. There's not a stigma against it. You know, we, we know that people want to be physically fit because that's healthy, but there's still a massive stigma on mental health. Like, like when we were kids, the way we picked on people, like when your boy had a, had his earring in his perm, when we were 11 and we wanted to pick on him, we'd say something like, you're fucking mental, right? So we would say to people, you're mental. And we would pull funny faces. And, and that, that is like, for particularly people my age in the UK, is like mental is associated with bad. There's something wrong with you. So if you say you have mental illness, you're basically, as soon as you say, ah, oh, mental illness, you're dragged straight back to the schoolyard where like if people call you mental, there's something wrong with you and you can't go there. I'll give an example, Gentry, I was um, of the power of this thing for people and the challenge that me and you face as coaches in this space. I do personal coaching. People can come on and we have a call for like 20, 30 minutes so we can see if we're fit to work to, with each other. I had somebody came on recently and um, they were saying to me that, you know, they've, they started um, drinking every day. They wasn't sure if they had a problem or not but they were drinking like a bottle of wine, like six bottles of beer. And this was a day, but it wasn't quite sure if they had a problem or not. Right. And I was like, okay, so why, why do you, why do you, uh, why do you think you're drinking? Well, I'm, I'm just, it's just so, I've just had such a bad run. It's like, oh, okay. Tell me about the run then. So it was like, okay, well, you know, my, my wife left me. I don't get to see my son. My mother died and I loved her very much. I ended up in prison and I could handle prison, I was there for six months. I could handle that, but I didn't get to see my boy, you know? And then I just come home and I'm just in my house and I'm just drinking. 
So I said to this guy, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I could really help you here, right? I can, I can help you to get over the grief of your mom. I could help you to understand the trauma that you went through with your wife, the divorce and the trauma that exists that you can't see your boy and how that manifests into anger and got you into prison. And we could trace that all the way back to like when you was a child and we could do that work. And I'm really looking forward to kind of helping you. And he turned around and said, oh, no, 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 <laughs> that's not my problem. I don't have a problem with any of those things. I fixed those things. I said, what's your problem then? He said, well, I, I'm drinking every night. And that was it. <laughs> he, like, he, he wouldn't hire me because he didn't want me to work on those things through a combination of, I don't think it's a problem, which I strongly believe in its same in itself, it's like a shame barrier. Like I, I cannot have problems in these areas. Like how can I have problems in these areas? I'm a, I'm a man, right? Mm-hmm. Versus an, an honest belief that no, no, no. I just need to stop drinking alcohol. If I stop drinking alcohol, everything's okay. No, you stop drinking alcohol in that state, you're just going to do something else, or you're going to drink again, right? Like, mm-hmm. do, do you see that in your in your space at all in your coaching? Or yeah, and I I see a lot of like this. I, well, okay. So for me personally, I really, I, I, w- I related to that guy where I felt like as long as I just wasn't drinking, that I would be perfect. Like mm-hmm. I really thought, like once I'm not drinking, I will be the perfect human being, and I can conquer the world, and everything will be fine. I see a lot of like self pity and stuff about it. Like, like, like they, they feel like they're, they don't have another choice but to drink, and they struggle, and I struggled relating that I needed to work on the emotional baggage that I had going on. If I wanted to stay not drinking, I really felt like, Oh, it's just, it's just that I've gotten so addicted to, to the alcohol that that's why I'm that Once I remove that, I'll be fine. Yeah. I, I really thought that like, once I stopped drinking, all my problems would be solved. And you, the, for me, I just, I had to stop drinking before I could even realize that I had more problems. Like I just mm-hmm. had to cut it out completely. Cause it was probably a year or two into sobriety there's different things that pop up that's like man i never dealt with that like and it's been two years that i've been sober and it's like this is now popping up and it's like i either need to deal with it or it's going to sit there and like eat away at me and it's a process and that's why how you're saying at your eight-year mark you felt like that dry drunk again because if you're not constantly doing that work and like when things are pinging like we got to deal with them we can't just Mm. we can't just pretend like they're not or be like, Oh, I've been sober for a long time. So I don't have to deal with shit anymore. It's like, yeah, no, we still, we still got to constantly deal with them. Mental health does get a stigma because people don't see it and they don't. So therefore they don't understand it. And if you had a broken arm, people can see that they can see it and they can understand it. Your arm's broken. But if somebody had a broken arm and they were like, you know what though, I'm not going to deal with it. It's fine. Like it's broken. I know I can see that it's broken but we're just going to leave it. Like people be like, what the F are you talking about? But with yeah. mental health, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have anxiety. It's like, that's not an excuse. <laughs> it's not an excuse yeah. to just like have panic attacks. That's like your arms broken. Let's fix it. We got to work on things. We got to talk about yeah. things. We got to deal with things. We got to learn new coping mechanisms. We have to learn new ways to, to relax, to, to do things that aren't using a stimulant or drugs or food or whatever it is that you might have a addiction to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did someone in my community the other day, I was talking to them and they said, um, we were talking around a trigger around drinking, you know, like they were getting triggered to drink again. I was going, well, what's the emotion that's behind it? And, and 
she was going, well, you know, I don't have anxiety. And I was going, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. What did you just say? You, you don't have anxiety. It's like, no, I don't have anxiety. Well, okay, so you're probably the only person on fucking planet Earth who doesn't have anxiety. And it, 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 and that's how we think. It's like, yeah, I don't have anxiety. I'm not angry. No, no, no. You do have anxiety, and it's a perfectly natural, beautiful, healthy emotion. And the sheer fact that we don't think we have it says something about the way that culture designs us. Like, anxiety is weak. Anxiety is wrong. Anxiety is smelly. I don't want anxiety. No, it's a warning system, you know? So, I mean, I think this is a really important conversation. And if I had a soapbox now, I think I'd fucking climb on it like your your table because, like, I'm a little bit worried that there are a lot of 30-day, 40-day, 60-day programs that help people quit alcohol when actually that's not what we should be helping people to do. Like, I, I, I know we should, obviously, right? It's a little bit like go to rehab. Like, I've worked with people who have been so enmeshed in alcohol, like that they're way above my skill level, right? And I'm like, okay, this person really needs to go to rehab so they can get clean, and then when they're clean, I can work with them. So I, I understand that aspect. But the 99.9% of people who come through my doors in the past 10 years with the podcast and everything, which I would say thousands, they're not like that. They're, they're actually people who drink alcohol for two reasons. One, because the world is designed to create you to drink and it makes it really difficult not to. And then for the other one, we just there's an emotion that leads you to drink because you don't know how to deal with things emotionally. You don't need to deal with life. Um, and you've got some trauma and all that kind of shit. Now, if we don't deal with that, or at least allow them somewhere where they can go to deal with that, I think there's something missing in the industry, you know? So, but people love it, you know, like the people, 30 days, come on, so October, dry January, we'll fix all your problems. People love it. And I think it's that, um, yeah, I think the, the ever, ever, ever story is too scary for people, right? Yeah, well, and like, uh, sober October wasn't started just for like a, for fun, let's kick sobriety or kick alcohol for 30 days. It was started for, um, cancer funding. Like it was mm. fun, uh, donations for people mm. that were struggling with cancer and they were encouraging people to not drink for 30 days to see how they felt and to promote a healthier lifestyle. Because a lot of people don't want to talk about how cancer is how alcohol is related to cancer. Mm. And so it was kind of an awareness that was brought, um, not just like, Hey, let's not drink for 30 days. And a lot of people miss that. They just think like, like yeah, they think I, I don't have a problem. Cause I was able to quit for 30 days. It's like, okay, but how did you feel? So why are you, why are you starting it again? If you felt better and you were sleeping better and whatever, like what, what would be the benefit of starting again? It's so funny when you say that, because if you think about it, like, let's say you stop drinking for a month. Okay. And then halfway through, you're like, um, how is it? And you're like, well, actually, I'm finding it really hard. Like, it's, it's pretty shit. Like, I don't like it. Okay. That's a problem. And then you go to someone else. You're like, how did it go? It was fucking amazing. I loved it. I was so, so much healthier. So, either way you do it, at the end of it, it comes to the same conclusion is, well, why are you drinking? What are you doing it for? <laughs> I, honestly, it's, this is, um, I think, the reason I got so passionate about working in this space is it's such, yeah, it's such an evil, insidious, sneaky con job that impacts billions of people 
and they don't even know it. And I find that so annoying and frustrating. And there you go. I just said it. I, I find it one of the worst things that is in history of humanity. <laughs> yeah. And it's really hard once you know better to not do better. So it's really hard for us that we're forced to go into the life of sobriety. And then you, you come to the other side and you see what it's like and you see how manipulative it, the whole, I mean, like alcohol industries are the big alcohol societal acceptance is like the biggest gaslighting thing yeah. worldwide. Like you're yeah. not that bad. Everybody's time. doing it. It's not that big. Like everybody's always gaslighting you as soon as you don't want alcohol in your life. So when you come to that other side of it and you know better and you're learning better, it's really hard to watch people um, continuously live in that lifestyle. Mm. It's like, how, but there's so much, it's so much better over here. <laughs> I know. I know. And I, I, and I feel it. I feel like people rob me of that connect. So if I go out with somebody, like say my mate say, do you want to come out? And I'm like, yeah, okay. I feel annoyed. Like I'm like, you're going to disappear from me in a couple of hours. Like slowly, the more and more you drink, you, you're just not going to give a shit. I'm like, I might as well not be here. And I, and I find it really selfish and I'm just kind of, so it's, it's a little bit like, you know, what you said about your boy, you, you know, 11 with his, with his ear piercing. His per- yeah. Some people will like you. So find the ones who do. And that's how I feel. It's like, okay. All right. I just want to be with people who are just going to be there for me. Like if I'm going to be with them for an hour, they're there for me. Yeah, they'll have their own shit and they'll be spaced out and they'll be thinking about, you know, that they kicked the dog this morning or they're going to lose their job or whatever. That's natural. But they're not going to, like, inebriate themselves to the degree that they not only are they not going to be able to listen to me, but they're they're actually probably going to slobber over me or invade my personal boundary or tell me they love me 50 times, tell me I'm a prick 50 times. You know, it's just like... Yeah, we did a little bit of a soapbox rant then, but hey, I think it's worth it every now and then. Maybe it will, maybe it will push one or two people over to the light side. But a caveat, and I'll pass it over to you as well, though. Even though I'm ranting and raving about this, and I have a tremendous amount of compassion and empathy for the people stuck in the trap, because because I know how challenging and difficult it is to even see the fucking thing, let alone try to get out of it. Um, so even though I'm angry, um, you know, I know how difficult it is for somebody to literally say, shit, I got a wedding this weekend and I wanted to not drink. I'm going to wait until the wedding's over. I get it. Like I, I get it completely, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, and how many times I, I have, I have a lot of empathy for people too. I understand that. And I've spent years starting and stopping, starting and stopping for those, those exact, I mean, like I would get food future tripped out about a wedding that wasn't for like another three months. Like I can't yeah. quit alcohol today. There's a wedding in three months. Like I need yeah. to be able to go to that. Yeah. Um, but you have to just keep stopping. Like my, that's like always my biggest thing is like, just keep stopping. Like it's stop now. And then when the wedding comes, deal with it then. If you want to yeah. drink at that wedding three months from now, do it. But um, just the the day I got sober was not my worst day. It was, it was a bad day, but it wasn't my <laughs> worst day. Yeah. Um, but I just kept stopping. Yeah. And, and, and that is the journey, right? So, you know, this, um, most people I see who, now everybody I see that comes in a 1000 day sober and strive, they have a problem with failure. They all do. Right. I did. Right. 
It's like, okay, if I stop drinking now, then I'm never allowed to drink ever again because if I do, I'm a failure. But actually, there's an argument that could be made that the person who goes six years straight without drinking probably didn't learn as much as the person who went six years sober after five years of, you know, stopping, starting again. Because very often in that pain and suffering and that challenging lies your growth, you know, and you learn a lot about yourself in many different ways. So, you know, whenever someone's like, oh, my God, I drank, this is ruined, this doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. No, no, it's okay. You're, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And then it's just not drink tomorrow. And what main thing is, isn't it? Let's what can we learn from this experience? Mm-hmm. What can we learn from raging at the kids? What can we learn from my reaction to Zia crying and people looking at her? What can we learn from drinking today when I didn't want to? You know, that's the most important thing, I think. Yeah, every obstacle is an opportunity or something to learn. Like either mm. an opportunity can come out of it or you will learn something, at least learn something. And I think that that's a huge for when I have had people that will start and stop, start and stop. Um, it's like, okay, we had an obstacle and now what are we going to learn? What's our opportunity out of it? Now we have an opportunity to start over again. We have an opportunity mm. to learn what we did wrong or we're not wrong, but learn what we wrong's the wrong word. <laughs> Cause it's, it's to learn what, what got us to that point. Yeah. Um, like every obstacle is an opportunity. Yeah. There you are. I just did it in that sentence. You <laughs> use the word wrong. You didn't like it. You changed it, but we knew what you meant. Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh my God, you're such an asshole. You're not really, you're not really, I know you're not really. I just, I to get it off my chest. <laughs> you know, it's like, ah, but you can deal with things much, much better when you're not drinking for sure um gentry for people who don't know you uh, i gave a uh, introduction beforehand anyway but just tell them where they can find you and i know you're coaching now as well so it's your time to just to tell people what you're doing and how they can get hold of you and work with you okay so i um i am on instagram at life with gentry um, there is a link that you could fill out in my bio, um, just with some questions and you can kind of let me know if you're interested in coaching. You can also just email me at lifewithgentry at gmail.com. Um, and even if you don't want coaching, but you just want to be entertained and you want to see more tables break, um, you can just follow me on Instagram and, um, just share hope and home humor. Mm, I love it. How many children you got? Is it three? I have four. Four, four kids. I just want to say that um, watching your videos, you know, like I have, I have two children, one that lives with me. Sometimes it takes three adults to get that child ready and out the door to go to school, right? I have so much respect for you being a single mom with four kids, carving out a life, doing something that you love. I think you're a super inspiration to so many mothers out there who I see give their power away to men just naturally through the way society works, watch this lady and do some more dancing on your tables and use her as an inspiration. So thank you very much. Keep shining your light. All right. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with myself and Gentry talking about, you know, the difficult 
You know, it's difficult, isn't it, when you stop drinking alcohol and you feel a lot of shame and regret and guilt around the way that we parented. But I think the key message to take away from this vital conversation is you cannot change the past, right? And all you can do is get your head down and be the greatest parent that you can be uh, from now on in. And, and be rest assured with this, your kids don't care about how you used to behave all they cared about is you showing up right now in this present moment, right? So I hope you enjoyed it. I need a favor from you folks. Please, please, please go to your local podcast provider and rate and review this show and pass it on to someone. Tell somebody about it, right? If you want to take the Strive method and join our Strive family, we have our Strive subscription service for $99 a month. Get over to www.1000daysober.com for that. And if you want some personal coaching with myself, uh, at the same website, go to the coaching section. You can understand a little bit more about um, how I do that and how I can help you change your life. And we can get on a call for 30 minutes. Uh, just email me at 1kdaysober at gmail.com and we'll set that up. Uh, until next week, thank you for being a part of this amazing change in the world. Mm-hmm.